Hello and welcome to Bonsai Bitter Banter podcast episode four. Today we have Ashley Gibson. She likes an adventure and understanding how the brain works and she is a clinical psychologist. Yep. Did I get that right? <laughs> yep. yep. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. It's a nice day, so just done from a walk. I know, I know. It's nice because yesterday it wasn't so nice. It's nice that we're getting a wee bit of sunshine. Today. I know. It's the Scottish weather, isn't it? I know. It's just so changeable right now, isn't it? I know. Right, so before we get into it, can you tell me a bit about yourself and the listeners a bit about yourself? Um, yep, so I, I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I'm based in Glasgow. Um, I work for the NHS. I did my undergrad in psychology at the University of the West of Scotland. I then went on to do a master's in Edinburgh University and applied psychology for children and young people. And that basically qualified me to be a therapist for children and families focusing on early intervention and preventative work. So from that qualification, I got a job at York Hills Children's Hospital, which isn't yeah. there anymore, it's now at the Southern. Yeah. Um, and I worked for three years in the paediatric clinical psychology service and neuropsychology service, so it was a split post. And then from there, I kind of wanted another challenge. So I went and trained as a clinical psychologist. Um, and with that qualification, we're trained to work with a broader range of mental health problems and work across the lifespan. And my first qualified post after that was working in a children's mental health service, so more moderate to severe mental health difficulties for children kind of zero to 18. And currently I'm now working with older adults, so people right. over 65, and that's working in a liaison psychiatry team and a physical rehab team. So that's where I'm at that's, at quite a, that's quite a resume. So how long have you actually been studying for? And sort of... Yeah, well, I guess I've done about eight years of uni, I think, in total. So I did four years undergrad, a year master's, and a three-year PhD. So I think eight years, yeah, eight years of uni altogether, but kind of spread out, not all right. one after the other. Some of that I worked a little bit in between. Yeah, and then just so talked quite up. A long, yeah, it's a long career. Um, in terms of trying to get qualified, yeah. So it's not like a 12 week course, like becoming a personal trainer then, no? <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> uh, no, lots of hard years of studying and graft. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, we are getting to do what you love now and help people, so that's all that matters, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a rewarding job and definitely more of a vocation, really. Uh, can I help others? So yeah, mm -hmm. got lots of rewards and benefits. Great. So before we get into the topics, what is your top book on your bookshelf or a book that you've read that really made an impact on your life? Um, so the book that's kind of on my bookshelf just now, which I think is quite relevant to the current times, um, is The Happiness Trap. Right. Um, it's by Russ Harris and it's based on acceptance and commitment therapy. And basically it's a way of helping us cope with psychological struggles and it helps us to better understand how our brains are wired and why we think the way we do and then help us to then cope with the kind of internal struggles that we're having in life. Yeah. Um, and the kind of ethos of it is to help us live a much more happier and meaningful life. So well, that's good because that's what the kind of one of the topics we said we're going to discuss today is. So it's very relevant. 
So um, we'll talk about mental drive because obviously I'm a personal trainer and I understand what well, I've not got any qualifications like you have, but obviously understand how somebody's mind can impact them um, progressing and how it can, say for eating sake, with clients when they're feeling down or bored, it becomes you not know, the eat. What is a mental drive do you think is connected that for something like overeating? Overeating can come about in a range of ways. Um, I guess thinking about the context we're in just now, um, lockdown, there can be people that are at home more right now um, with easier access to the fridge. So it might even just be something as simple as a bad habit developing through lockdown. Um, people might be feeling a bit more stressed and they're eating a bit more. It's normal for us to have a, an emotional connection to food. Um, mm -hmm. Since we were born, we were nurtured with food and rewarded with food. So having that emotional connection and that comfort eating is normal. Um, another kind of driver for overeating though can be when we're restricting um, our foods. Um, often when people have got a desire to lose weight, they can make the mistake of restricting what they're eating. And actually, you probably know this as well, but what we know is that actually leads to purging and overeating. Yeah. And then it leads to kind of feelings of guilt and shame and it just perpetuates that cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so what we would kind of always say to people is actually helping them realise that restricting their foods or seeing foods as bad is actually going to result in the very thing that they're trying to avoid, yeah. overeating. Yeah, no, I, I take mm -hmm. that approach with clients and try and make them understand like calories, just that this is what you need to watch. Right now, you're no place to be making drastic changes. And like you're saying, that's one of the reasons why I do it is because giving mm -hmm. somebody a free will to eat what they want, but stay within a certain range. It's, I've found personally uh, with clients, it's a lot more successful and you get better results that way because mm -hmm. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just advising somebody. And I think if you can just guide somebody, but still, because it's, it's meal plans don't work because if I'm jumping in and telling you to do this, this, and that to your life, but you may have kids in that, it's, it's never going to work in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's funny how you're saying about the thing about when you think you don't want food. Uh, mm -hmm. And the way I kind of put it is if you're in a calorie deficit, which you're eating less, you need to be aware that your brain is going to be fighting you the whole way. And so your brain's going to be like, we need to eat, we need to eat. And like, a lot of time you might not be, you might not need to eat. It's just like you're saying, your brain because you've shut it off and you say, no, you're not getting that, then it becomes an obsession and you really chase it and sort of want it more than you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just as a caveat that the same that you're saying, I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist, but just in the same as you can understand a little bit about how the brain works and um, you understand quite a lot about fitness and meal plans, probably more than me, but there is um, that thing about when we have fueled our body right, so when we have put nutrition into our body and the right nutrition and we've looked after ourselves emotionally and ensured we've had a good night's sleep, we're much more in a position to um, resist urges like overeating and act in a way that we want to act and kind of make more sensible food choices that day. Um, so yeah. I would say kind of not depriving yourself and not seeing food as bad and having a balance. It's that kind of thing that we know, but sometimes it's helpful to remind people of that and actually remind them that, you know, restricting yourself or seeing food in a negative way is actually not going to help you achieve your goals. Or It's going to have a negative impact on you achieving your goals, if anything else. 
Absolutely. So you obviously get the overeating side of it, but a lot of people are, sort of use the language of, you no, know, they've sabotaged their diet and they kind of self-sabotage. What would you have to say about like, self-sabotage? And it'll probably link back to what we just talked about, but like, when somebody knows um, they shouldn't be doing something, but they're doing it anyway, would you just say that's just a sort of restriction too much is causing that self-sabotage? Or would you say there's a deeper underlying issue to it? I think if you're acting in a way that you don't want to be acting, for me in therapy, I would be looking at, right, okay, let's kind of think about the triggers. When are the times you're doing this? Are there particular triggers? So is it that you're stressed and you're comfort eating? Is it that you're just mindless snacking? So is it that you're home and bored and you've got easy access to the fridge and you're not engaging yourself in meaningful activity? Or is there a deeper issue? So Sorry, there are some again? individuals that do have... So, you know, it could be something that it's bad habits or it's emotional eating, but sometimes it can be a deeper issue. So people that are compulsively overeating... Um, for them, I would be thinking about, is this a, a much more chronic, deep-rooted issue? Um, and for them, I'd be probably thinking about, they maybe need, if they're feeling like they're eating, it is out of their control and not something they can manage, and it's impacting upon physical and mental health, I'd be saying to them, do you know, it might be a good idea to speak to your GP and to access further supports, because for some people, compulsive overeating can be a much more entrenched problem. Um, mm. But I guess in terms of meeting your goals, I think you touched on something earlier where you said about, is this the right time? So sometimes time is important. Someone who's maybe looking to embark on a fitness journey or a new diet might be doing it at a time where, you know, they've got their changing job or, you know, they've just had like quite a major life event. And often in therapy, I'd be saying to someone when they're embarking on a new goal, is this the right time for you right now? Could we delay this by a few weeks or a few months so that you're in the better headspace and you're actually giving yourself a chance to succeed? So I think it's about timing and seeing if there's any barriers that are actually in the way of achieving success. Yeah, well, like you're saying there about timing and stuff, um, when I first started as a PT, like you would just sort of take on clients, you would know, whereas now I've got a kind of, before we even take them on as a client, you have a kind of screening uh, process. So say if it's like somebody, it's too stressed, doesn't have the time. I make it very clear at the start, no, you need to put effort into this. But on the other side, if it's somebody that you're saying has got a deeper rooted issue with eating, then I would mm -hmm. always try and say, well, look, this is, I am not qualified to deal with this. You need to go and see something like a specialist kind of thing. Um, but I think that is just a part of the sort of growing process of being fresh out of college and then sort of going, oh, I don't, I don't want to help everybody because I'm going to make things worse, possibly. I never, luckily, I never ever made anything worse, but after a while I sort of quickly realised no, I need to watch who you take on as a client and that's nothing against them it's just there's better people out there that can help them in a better way yeah that's you just looking after them really isn't it actually this yeah. is going beyond my competencies I'm not equipped, I'm not trained to deal with this but actually I think you could get help through other means so mm -hmm. that's just you being um, it's a hard one to say though to somebody it's no it's a hard conversation to have with somebody and go look I think you need to go and see a specialist because um People get upset about that sometimes, and it's it's not a badness. It's just purely a, one, I want the best outcome for them, and two, I don't want them to waste their money when I know that they're not going to get the results they can. Kind of yeah. Thing. yeah, so that's, again, I would say that's just acting responsibly for their needs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I guess another, I guess another way we can sabotage ourselves, though, we all 
have a kind of inner self-critical voice. So for some people, it might not be deep-rooted. It might just be that they're letting their negative thoughts take over. So it might yeah. be that it's not a deep-rooted problem that they need to see their GP, but they maybe just need brought to the attention of their inner critical thoughts. So um, our thoughts influence how we feel and then what we do. So if you have a neg negative voice that's kind of impacted upon your self-esteem, it's causing self-doubt, it'll get in the way of you achieving your goals. Um, so kind of the thought of, I can't control my eating, I'm never going to achieve my goals, that's going to leave you feeling hopeless and sad. And then you're more likely to comfort eat to deal with that difficult thought yeah. and emotion. Whereas if you kind of notice that inner critical voice that we all have and you say to yourself, I'm going to replace that with a more balanced and compassionate thought and say, I can manage my eating. It's a work in progress and I'm getting there. You're more likely to feel hopeful and empowered and then you're more likely to achieve your goal of kind of engaging in sensible eating and living a bit healthier. So really like our thoughts can actually self-sabotage us but once we become aware of our thoughts and try and kind of manage that in our critical voice we can deal with things like negative thoughts a bit better. Yeah I think like you're saying awareness and um like we're talking about where I would say I can't look you are going to feel hungry and you're not necessarily hungry because it's like your brain trying to make you want to eat um mm -hmm. but like you're saying there the language that you use to describe something you no know, has a big impact sometimes and just being a bit more positive about how you talk about a situation or a subject can drastically sort of change the outcome and the sort of how much you're going to be able to stick to it but mm -hmm. how would you advise people to control their urges if they have them just maybe even three sort of wee tips or just the one sort of main tip that you think if you've done that then this would properly help so our urges are fueled by our emotional brain so we've got two types of brains we've got our logical i always point to what it is so we've got our frontal logical brain that thinks in terms of logic facts and consequences okay so would that be the human brain yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of like, if you've read The Chimp Paradox, yeah, they I've refer to I've tried to get through it. It's a really hard book. I'm like halfway yeah. through it and it's so hard. You know, basically like even some, like it, different people can look, can describe it in different ways. So yeah, in The Chimp Paradox, it talks about the human versus the chimp. I would talk about it in terms of your higher brain versus your lower brain. Right. And when you think about it, higher is superior. Okay, like so for me, that's just my easy way of remembering. So my higher brain is a brain that thinks a bit superior. It's based on logic. It looks back it and thinks about consequences as well. So it helps you plan better. Whereas your lower brain is more primitive and it's based on emotion and physical drivers. Okay, when you haven't looked after your emotional brain, your logical brain isn't able to kind of work as well because all the blood will go to this brain because it's firing more it's almost like right. reacting to the fact that you've not looked after it so this is the brain that's in charge of urges and impulses it's more irrational it's less logical so um, the way to look after this brain is to make sure that you've eaten right you've looked after yourself emotionally you've had a good night's sleep okay so you're not feeling stressed you've slept well and you've ate well that part of the brain that controls our urges, if that feels a bit better looked after, this part of the brain can then take action. So if you have the urge, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to eat that bit of cake, 
and you've looked after this part of the brain, as in you've fueled your body with the right things that day, you've slept well, you will be more able to resist that urge because your logical part of the brain will then take action and say, actually, do you need that piece of cake right now? Um, you know, is this what you want to be doing right now? And the logical part of your brain will be more able to resist that urge. Whereas if you've not eaten right, so if you've starved yourself, if you've not yeah. had a good sleep or if you've had a particularly stressful day, this part of the brain is going into overdrive saying, I need that bit of cake. And your logical part of the brain won't be able to argue with it because actually yeah. it's hungry, it's stressed, it needs the, the comfort of food. So this, the urge will take over. So the best way to um, kind of manage urges is actually to look after your physical and emotional well-being. Yeah, so a good self-care self type thing. Yeah. So just having an early night, eating well and just thinking a bit more positive and then that leads you to be able to control your urges a bit more and make better decisions. Yeah, I mean the reality is sometimes you will just want the bit of cake but if you are someone that's maybe having bad habits of eating, overeating quite a bit and you're on this goal of wanting to eat better, if you've looked after yourself emotionally and you've put good nutrition in your body, you're going to be more able to resist the cake um, because your body's not going to be in overdrive. Because actually when we starve ourselves, um, it increases our hunger signals, but it's the signals for sweet foods that we'll crave. So actually if you starve yourself, the back of the brain's going, I need food and I need sweet food. So you're much more likely to be able to resist something like a sweet snack. Whereas if you fueled your body right, those signals are less and you're more able to say, actually, I don't need the cake right now. I'm okay. Yeah. And that's that why like, not being in too much of a drastic eating too less of calories and like, too much of a deficit then causes you to do it for maybe four weeks and then it just falls away. Whereas if you just gradually lower somebody's calories to a point where their body can cope with it, yes, they're still losing weight because they're in a deficit, but it's just a healthier approach and mentally and physically, they're going to get better results from that sort of process. And that's why I just can't get on board with the sort of eight-week drastic transformations and doesn't educate anybody. After the eight weeks are done, they're not going to be able to sort of sustain it they've not they've, they don't really understand any of this and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's good that you as a professional is advising people to do that because you know people need to hear this stuff and understand that it is important Absolutely. and do you know a lot of it is common sense you know when we think about it but we just need reminding of it and to know that actually drastic results are unlikely to be sustainable it's about kind of small achievable changes that you can make and carry on um, rather than short, sharp, fast changes that you're probably going to struggle to sustain. Yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And it's, 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 good, it's good. So hopefully people can take something away from that and just be a bit more healthy rather than think about fitness. Because I think that is the big killer is people get health mixed up with fitness and fitness mixed mm -hmm. up with health. And that is the once a slow process that takes time and it takes attention and it's not going to be overnight, whereas the other ones are quick. It's a car crash, really, when you think about it, because it just sometimes makes people jump right back to where they were, and then it even affects their mental health more. So, yeah, that's good. So, we're all in lockdown right now. It's very current, and I'd like to sort of ask you, how can this affect our mental health for right now and possibly sort of the long term? Okay. Well, I guess there's no doubt we're kind of in a period of rapid change and uncertainty. So there's no doubt that is going to be impacting on us in some way. 
But the important thing to remember is it won't impact on everyone in the same way. So if you think about a road traffic accident, some people might come out of that a bit shook up. Other people might go on to develop PTSD. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the event doesn't necessarily determine the outcome. There's individual factors at play. So absolutely, um, the pandemic will be impacting upon us all in some way, but it will have kind of varying degrees of impact. Um, the kind of factors that would determine that is things like, well, what has the impact been? For some people, it's been positive. Um, do you know, some people have had stressful jobs and been offered furlough and are now at home spending quality time with their young families. Yeah. There's other people who have maybe lost their jobs and are in financial strain, you know, so the impact of it um, and whether that's been positive or negative will be a factor. Other factors are things like what is your mental health like or what was it like before lockdown? What was your physical health like? What is it like now? Your age, we know that older people are at the more at-risk group. Um, and things like, were you already dealing with other things? You know, were you already going through financial hardship before the lockdown? Were you already struggling with your relationships in life? Were you kind of dealing with other things that are stressful? Um, other factors that will determine impact, as well as things like your coping. You know, are you someone that's able to cope? Have you dealt with stress before and do you know how to overcome it? Or actually, are you someone that is totally avoidant of stress and you don't have um, good coping skills? Um, and a final thing is, you know, do you have access to supports um, or have these supports been removed since lockdown? So when we kind of think about all those factors, it helps us understand why the impact of lockdown will be so individual for us. Yeah. But what we can say is that, yes, it will affect all of us in some way, but to varying degrees based on all of those things that I've just talked about. Yeah, well, I, th I think, like you're saying, different people deal with it in different way. And you're saying about the job aspect. Um, where I was spending, before I was spending a lot of my time in the gym. And yeah, at first it was a bit of panic, but I just put things in place for my clients. And luckily enough, my clients have been really supportive and stuck with me, which they didn't have to do. So shout out yeah. to the clients. But oh, um, glad to hear. But for the actual, um, like, take my time away for the gym and evaluating my business and stuff, it's it's been really positive. Um, and mm -hmm. just spending more time with like, my partner and stuff is, but also, I can imagine it would be a totally different story if I was living by myself and maybe my, my job wasn't going so great. So um, I get that. And another point that you're saying there about people's like, social interactions, I think that's really good how you see like, so many people doing like Zoom quizzes and stuff like that now. And it's like... Yeah it does get a bit monotonous but at least you're getting that social interaction and you do end up enjoying it and stuff so it's amazing that the technology we have nowadays that even though you can't get the normal sort of social interaction you can get some form of social interaction so absolutely yeah i totally agree with that you know our connection to others is so important we're social beings and mm -hmm. isolation and loneliness is um something that can increase your risk of mental health problems but um, it's thinking about, yeah, we live in a world where we have great technology and ways of overcoming um, kind of loneliness and lockdown. So things like FaceTime, you know, messaging people, phoning people. But yeah, I guess it is still important to remember that there will be those groups that are still feeling quite isolated just now. Um, um, so yeah, those are things yeah, to do. It's like you're saying we are sort of social, because if, if somebody in your family or that gets sick, then you're 
automatic reaction is to do what you can to help them. But this yeah. has all been taken away. And I think that's a really sort of hard thing to um, deal with is that being taken away and your usual urges, not good urges to go and help and sort of care for people is like, you can't do that. And you're just left sort of sitting, which, which is hard. Like, it's really hard, but I suppose Absolutely. we're all going through the same thing. So we'll all come out it stronger in the end. Yeah, and I guess that's a really nice point is that there is a bit of a sense of community and togetherness in all this. Mm -hmm. You know, we are all going through it together. Um, and I think that is building a sense of community in a lot of ways, like things like, you know, the NHS clap on a Thursday night. Yeah. Do you know, when else does that happen? So I think it is important to remember that, yeah, there are people that are struggling through lockdown, but there is also some positives we can take from it. And it's, again, just trying to have that balanced view in psychology, we always kind of talk about being balanced and not, not always focusing on the negative. And of course, whilst we have to think about these people um, and how you know society can support them, it's also about reminding ourselves that there can be some positives that have came out of lockdown. Yeah, and like I said at the start, is just try to focus on the positives a wee bit. Obviously not fully, but it is good to focus on. Um, so do you think after this, the way it will sort of alter social interactions and all of that. It'll, it'll make it things different. Like a lot of people have a lot more anxiety and stuff than they did before. Yeah, I guess it's hard to say what the kind of longer term um, effects of this pandemic are going to be. Um, we don't know because we don't really have the research or the data, but I think you're kind of right that it's likely that People who have maybe already been anxious, um, you know, might continue to worry about the virus more than others. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people who are in the vulnerable or at-risk groups, um, might, a consequence for them might be more longer-lasting anxiety. But it's not a foregone conclusion, again, because of the individual factors that I talked about earlier. But I think, yeah, there is a, a query over actually what will them be will it result in people being more anxious um, I guess when we think of children um, children are constantly learning about their world and their environment so something you know that I've wondered about is you know the messages that young children are getting is that be wary of others don't go near them um, yeah. and you know the world is a dangerous place right now and it's unclear if this will result in some children being more socially anxious you know, than what they would have been without the pandemic um, yeah. and feeling less confident and a bit more worried about the future. So again, it's just thinking about what will the impact be of that kind of generation. Um, some people might bounce back, for others, like you say, they might have more long-lasting effects, feeling anxious. Yeah, I never even thought about it for like a children aspect, like no being sort of like, maybe two or three and that sort of, it, would, it, it makes perfect sense how it would impact how they see the world and Obviously, when yeah. you're younger, you just perceive the world as this happy place where you don't need to pay bills and there's no any bad people apart from the Disney movies. But yeah, it would make you very cautious um, about things. What would you say yeah. would be the best way for um, people to look after themselves at the moment and stay healthy mentally? Well, I guess in lockdown, whether it was lockdown or not, as a psychologist, there are basic principles that we tell people to ensure emotional and physical well-being. And I would say these principles are just the same as in lockdown, but even more crucial. So um, 
if I was meeting a client and I was talking about how you can just generally look after yourself, um, it's things like ensuring you have a good routine. So that's particularly important for people that are maybe spending more time at home or long periods at home during lockdown. So make sure you are kind of having a routine of getting up and going to bed, um, you know, at, at set times. Get up, get dressed and have something to eat and then have activities set out for your day. Um, so that would be the things in terms of having a good routine. Yeah. Um, good sleep and good eating habits are also really important for just physical and emotional well-being. Um, and I don't know if like good sleep hygiene is something you talk about with clients. Yeah, or something. actually, um, I made like a wee sort of PDF and put it out to clients. It was like last week or the week before, let's sleep hygiene and what to do mm -hmm. like an hour or two before bed and then pitch black room and that kind of thing and in the morning get up get some natural light um kind of thing but yeah as sleep's a big one because i know myself if i've not had enough sleep then you start making bad decisions and yeah absolutely like people, a lot of people are unaware actually like if we have a bad night's sleep we're more irritable the next day we're more likely to act on urges um and we're more irrational um so it's actually so important to have a good night's sleep. It helps regulate our mood. Um, in terms of having a good night's sleep, the tips are, yeah, things like, you know, an hour before bed, not kind of going on social media or having access to screens because the blue light prevents the production of melatonin, which is the hormone we need to help us sleep. So kind yeah. of an hour before bed, not having that. Having a kind of good nighttime routine where you're winding down in that hour before bed, whether that's, you know, reading a book, um, dimming the lights, um, and kind of the consistency of that. Of thing. Yeah, and do you know, common sense stuff like avoiding caffeine late in the day. Mm -hmm. But you can Google sleep hygiene. So if anyone wants to Google good sleep hygiene, good sleep habits, or good sleep hygiene, it's available on the. Well, I'll put the I'll put the PDF on my um, bio on my Instagram. If people want to download it, they can just click and uh, download yeah. it. Pretty much covers everything uh, that you're saying there. But uh, that's yeah. you're saying about the blue light thing. That's how I started buying books again, rather than getting like a Kindle and stuff. Because I just enjoy reading a book better. And it is it means you're getting away from your phone. And if you're reading something on your phone, you're getting notifications through constantly. So when you're not taking it in, until you're getting that blue light. So but that's how I'm still old fashioned, and I'm not right buy books rather than. Yeah, no, I think that's good because, like you say, not having the Kindle and having the actual book is just going to support that kind of your body getting ready for sleep um, yeah. and allow you to produce that melatonin that you need to help you sleep. Um, so, yeah, so having a good routine, that includes a good sleep and a good eating pattern. We've already talked about the consequences of restricting and not eating enough. Yeah. Um, keeping active is also important. So when you are not keeping active you're allowing more space for negative thoughts to creep in okay so keeping active helps to ensure emotional well-being so and physical well-being but when we talk about keeping active there's a kind of range of activities that we would say you should have a balance of across the week so these activities are things that are sociable so right now during lockdown it's about trying to ensure that you're still connecting with others as per the guidelines during lockdown so whether yeah. that be facetime texting phoning um activities that give you a sense of achievement so um finishing a chore doing your college or your school work learning a new skill everyone's doing things like baking and learning a language just now i've noticed but these are all things that give us a sense of achievement and accomplishment and actually build our self-esteem 
um, activities yeah. that you get enjoyment from. Sorry, yeah. then you go. No, I was just going to say, no matter how minute it might seem, you know, the wee activity, like even just like painting a fence or just doing something small, when you step step back, once it's done, you do, you go, no, I'm quite happy I started that, I'm quite glad I've done it. And it's just reinforcing Absolutely. that positive sort of thought part and then sort of just, just positivity in general, really. I've achieved something yeah. absolutely slightly. So it could be paint, painting a fence, it could be anything. Um, like you say, like completing a chore, something that you've been meaning to do around the house for ages, but because you've been busy at work, you've not had the chance, but actually lockdown's now given you the chance to do it. Mm -hmm. um, the other kind of set of activities is things that we get enjoyment from. So that could be having a hot bath, listening to our favourite music, watching telly, playing games. Um, and the final one is the one um, that you'll be more able to talk about is and promote is physical exercise. Yeah. So we know that that supports our mood. Um, so having those range of activities, ones that are sociable, give us a sense of achievement, give us a sense of enjoyment and are actually keeping us active. We would say have a balance of them across the week. So it's not just about doing one every day, it's about that balance across the board. And doing these things and keeping yourself active will keep your mind healthy and your body healthy. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say something on like physical activity. I think people get that a bit misconstrued sometimes of what physical activity is. And but literally, if I've got somebody that is not motivated whatsoever to work out, I'll say to them, as like, if you watch what you're eating and you just get your step count up, you're going to lose weight. And I think the whole thing where people are saying, oh, um, you'll feel better after it, you know, that whole, you'll exercise and you'll feel better after it. See, if you don't want to do the session, sometimes you're not going to feel better after it and that's just the way it is. So I would say pick the physical activity, whether it be going to walk or cycle, if it is a gym session or if it's a bodyweight session, yoga, stretching, whatever it is, like, as long as your body's moving, that's classed as physical activity and, and that's just it. And I think people really get it misconstrued of what is actual physical activity. Yeah, I would totally agree with that and I would also agree with, your point of make it work for you so for mm -hmm. me I'm not a runner I never have been the bleep test at school was my worst nightmare I would forget my PE kit that day I would refuse to do it that has stayed with me my whole life but do you know what I like walking um so whilst I like the idea of being a runner I'm not a runner I never yeah. have been I'm just not one but do you know what you mentioned there I've totally been using like on your iPhone you've got that health app that tracks your steps yeah so for me I've been using that as my motivator so when I'm going out my walks I'm trying to ensure that I'm getting my steps up do you know also things like yoga and stretching that counts as activity mm -hmm. so it doesn't need to be like this idea of doing like a a run or going out on a bike it can be something as simple as going a walk or just doing a bit of stretch and just doing some movement that's getting you active like you say um yeah and that is just the whole fitness industry as a whole again it's like if it's no sexy it's not going to sell so it's going walks it's no it's not going to sort of sell but it is true is if you're getting your steps up and if you're doing something that you enjoy you're more likely to stick to it the same way you are with eating and um, that's what a lot of people that don't want to do workouts, I'll, I'll take on clients and don't do them then. If you'll, yeah. There'll come a time where you might be motivated to do them and some people might see that as counterproductive, what you're getting a coach for. And I'm like, well, it's, it's really the actual session of lifting some weights is, unless you're a bodybuilder, it's maybe 10%, 20% yeah. of the overall outcome. It's about how somebody's going to feel when you're offering support and guidance to somebody. Obviously not as in-depth mindset-wise as you would, but... I've got a broad understanding of how it works and it's just been 
empathetic towards somebody. If somebody's severely overweight, telling them to do four sets of 10 squats with a certain weight and they can't do it and it's making them feel like crap, it's not gonna, they're not going to be able to sustain it and it's just going to make them unhappy. So no point of being yeah. healthy is being happy. And yeah, fitness is a think- different ballgame. Sorry, on you go. Yeah. Yeah, and just in line with that, making things achievable because actually, like you say, like our fitness levels are all different, but we can all engage in some level of activity just now. But yeah, absolutely. It's about giving yourself goals that are achievable so that you're not setting yourself up to fail. So something like, so for me, if I was going to say, right, tomorrow I'm going to do a 5K, I would not be able to do it. If I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to get my steps up a bit more than what they were yesterday, that's a much more achievable goal for me. Yeah, I'm a coach and I hate running. I, I forgot my PE kit and all that when I was in school. But I don't know how I ended up with this job, but I, Same. <laughs> but, but so, I don't know that. Obviously, you'd think I should be taking my PE kit, but no, hated PE, hated the whole yeah. competitiveness of it, and I just enjoy this. I just do this because I enjoy helping people feel better about themselves and become healthier. So, mm-hmm. like I was saying about, um, so just basically positive reinforcement. Then would that's what having a good sleep pattern, eating well, and physical activity. That's what it's all about. So. If it's making mm-hmm. you feel good, then continue to do it. If you're mm-hmm. doing something that's making you feel bad, ask yourself why you're really doing it. And if it's mm-hmm. really not a big why, then just step away from it and try and find something the same kind of section and mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I can say to people is if you've spent a day, you know, where you've barely got up and got out your bed and your mood's been really low, test out what happens if you just the next day get up get dressed and have something to eat even if that's all all you manage that day you know you are much more likely to feel better than the day before we all you did was spend in your bed getting up having a routine and having some level of self-care and activity in your day just totally supports our mood and supports our well-being yeah just a bit of structure absolutely so why would you say it's so difficult to achieve happiness uh, well I said, I know we're not, not well do you I know, know you probably can sum that up but just as a sort of there must be some sort of pointers of why people find it difficult to be happy well I suppose a way that um achieving can I, that idea of achieving happiness is it's quite unattainable because we're not hardwired to be happy, believe it or not. Our brains are not hardwired in that way. Our brains are hardwired to survive, okay? So we need to think about evolutionary theory and where our brains have come from and how they've developed over the years. So the number one priority for the primitive mind was survival, okay? So... Uh, and the way it ensured survival was looking out for threat and trying to avoid it. Okay, so like for example, looking out for a predator and making Could this sure we come in fight or flight mode with that. Yeah, so your fight or fight mode is part of your threat mode, looking out for threat, and it gets activated once it believes there's a threat present. So years ago, it would have been a predator coming to eat you, whereas now it might be being socially embarrassed in a social setting. So our threats have changed over the years, um, but our brains still see them as a threat to survival, even though they're not. So like our modern day threats are no longer predators coming to eat us, but our brains very much so interpret them as threats. So it's maybe more threats to like our emotional self, our psychological self, 
But also, you could still have the threat of you've walked onto the road and you've not looked properly and a bus could be coming at you. So that is an actual real-life threat. Yeah. So our flight or fight, fight, flight or freeze mode comes into action in all these scenarios, whether we're socially embarrassed or we're worried about losing our job or a bus has come down the street, it's the same threat system that gets activated. But yeah. some threats are real, like the bus. Other threats are more social-emotional threats. Um, but our bodies react physiologically in the same way. Um, so the so we're primed to look out for threat to ensure our survival. We're primed to also be concerned with being part of a group because that ensures survival. Um, and we're also primed to want more because the our ancestors, when they had better weapons and better shelter, it ensured survival. So when you think about it, our brains are still hardwired in this way with these primitive instincts. So rather than being primed to be happy, our brains are constantly on the lookout for threat. They're constantly yeah. worried about being rejected. And we're always comparing ourselves to others and focusing on what we don't have rather than what we do have. So if we think about that's how our brains are hardwired, we can then think about, gosh, no wonder achieving happiness is so difficult because rather than walking into a situation and just being happy, we're going, is this harmful? Is this a threat? You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to be rejected here? What have they got that I've not got? Those are all the kind of things that our brain is going through in kind of yeah. day-to-day life. So it's like our brains living millions of years ago, like still in the caveman times, whereas physically our bodies are living in the 21st century and the, like, the brain hasn't kind of, how it functions, hasn't caught up with modern day or it still takes threats in the same way as it, it reacts in the same way as it would? I guess the brain is still, our primitive drives of survival have still stayed there. So they're, they're the back of the brain. So they're, um, you know, our kind of survival and our threat modes um, as you're, you know, in the back brain or the primitive brain or the chimp brain, if you've read the chimp paradox. Um, so it's not that it's not evolved because it hasn't evolved, but it's just that our threats are different. So our threats are no longer predators coming to eat us. Our threats are loss of a job, being rejected by your friends, um, you know, um, being socially embarrassed. So our threats have just changed our modern day threats from what our primitive threats were. Um, but our brains have still learned to be hardwired to look out for these threats. Because actually losing your job in today's society is a threat because yeah. then you could experience financial hardship. Being rejected by your friends might will result in a loss of social support. And actually we all need like friends and family and social support. So the threats actually are still really relevant to us in modern day. Um, but it's just that our brains are so evolved to constantly be looking out for these threats. That's why it's hard to kind of achieve you know, happiness because yeah. we're hardwired to go, you know, am I doing the right thing and am I going to be rejected here or should I be worrying more about this? Um, but kind of understanding that that's how our brains work can kind of help us understand why, you know, achieving a state of happiness all the time is not realistic um, and actually to experience negative emotions like anxiety is actually just normal and part of how our brains are wired. Yeah, so like we think the key to life is happiness, but really our brain's thinking a different story where it's like, no, we need to survive this. This is, this is all we need to do is survive. And I think that's yeah. like, maybe even like Disney films and stuff where everything's dead happy and we get this uh, yeah. unrealistic sort of how life should be. It should all be dead, which obviously you've tried to be happy, but that's 
obviously the cause that stops us from being happy is basically survival, which isn't a bad thing because nobody yeah. wants to lose their job or get run over. So yeah and i guess it's just about understanding like because we're primed to want more so again like our ancestors wanted more because it helped ensure their survival so better weapons better shelter now we live in a society where our groups are so much larger we only need to open up social media to see someone richer with a better car a better house so actually that social comparison years ago that's so much more now we're comparing ourselves to such a larger universe and you know all these people that are out there. So actually that kind of leads to more feelings of inadequacy. You know, we're not, we've not got as good as that person. But the happiness trap, um, which is based on acceptance and commitment therapy, it just kind of talks about, yeah, this is how we're hardwired and this is why achieving happiness might be difficult. But um acting on our values and kind of living our lives that are in tune and in line with our values will result in us leading a more meaningful life. So to achieve happiness full stop is not realistic because we are going to experience negative emotions and threat. But if you live a life that's in line with your values, you can live a more meaningful life. And that's something that research is saying will achieve more kind of meaningfulness in a richer life. Yeah, like happiness is just sort of a vague way to describe it. But if you, as you're saying, try and achieve the values, it's going to be a, a bit of a more satisfying life, you could say. Yeah. So if we think about what's really important to us, so, you know, if we kind of stop and th- rather than thinking about having a better car, or having a better um, house, if we think about well, what is important to us, what are my values? Is it career? Is it being successful for me? Is it having an education? Is it being part of a family? Is it being a good friend? Is it, you know, being environmentally friendly? Or is it looking after others? These are all kind of examples of values that people might have. So lockdowns may be giving people the opportunity to slow down and reflect on what is actually important to me? What are my beliefs? What are my values? And what gives my life meaning? Once you know what your values are, if you set goals that are in line with your values, then you're kind of going to go in a happier direction. So you're going to result in having a happier life because you're living in and kind of tune and acting on your values. So we would talk about a value being a direction. So it doesn't have an end point. Um, So your value is kind of where, you know, that's just like your journey. You're always going in that direction. Just like if you said, I'm going to go west. There's no end point to going west. You just keep going west. But a goal would be like in line with your value. So if you had a goal that was in line with your value, you know, that might be like what mountains do I want to see or climb on the way to going west and what scenery do I want to see? So figure out what your values are and then set your goals to be in line with that. Um, And that's something that can help us achieve happiness or that makes perfect sense so follow your values and set your goals and because that's a lot of people set goals that aren't in line with their um, values and it's the people set goals saying i want to be a bikini model and maybe they've had another 40 odd and you're like right this could possibly happen if you put in the work in that but why do you want to do it and if as you're saying if their values are why because because i want people to like me it's like well that's not but that's not really a value is it for you yourself and it's a, like, looking at yourself and 
self-reflecting in a sense and seeing what's important to you and stuff exactly so what just asking yourself that question what is important to me um is it about being a good person so is it about being a good friend you know just take time to reflect on what it is and then you can set your goals to help you always go in that direction and i guess if we always if our actions and our behaviors are in line with our values then we can be a bit more satisfied by the direction that our lives are going in so yeah like i said earlier it's important to remember that our brains are just not naturally primed to be happy they're naturally primed to survive which is why we get things like anxiety and um, comparing ourselves to others fear of rejection but these are the things if you reflect on values and goals that are taking you in the direction you want to go in these are things that can help us achieve kind of happiness or yeah. a more meaningful life i say happiness like that because no you no know, i get it it's like kind of happy to, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I, I think I like to think about it as a, a life that's more full and more meaningful to you. Yeah, satisfying. Yeah, it's satisfying because we can't be happy all the time. Negative emotions are part yeah. of life. But yeah, if you want to look back on your life and think that was um, in the direction I wanted it to go in, mm -hmm. um, that was in line with who I was and my values, then yeah. you're more likely to look back on your life and think, you know, um, look back on it positively. Yeah, definitely. So as we were saying, like, obviously with lockdown and stuff, um, I'm a massive, I think, for having time in lockdown and sort of chilling out a wee bit. I still do it, but I've realised how much of a massive overthinker I am. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do it all the time. I'll make a little job into a big job and just keep doing it. And I think spending more time to just focus on like less things, in a sense. Mm -hmm. At the start, I was like, oh, I need to do this. Over, and then I had to take a step back and go, Right, nothing's going to be perfect, so let's just roll with it. Like, the scenario we're living in isn't perfect. Um, mm -hmm. So I've just got to step away from the idea of something being perfect and just roll with it kind of thing. What would mm -hmm. you say about, like, because obviously overthinking is a big thing for a lot of people in different levels, but what would you say is, like, the main cause of it or the main way to sort of not stop it totally, but just to try and sort of break that habit of overthinking? Yeah, the reason for overthinking is just what I've talked about. It's, it's why, it's how our brains are primed. We're primed to think, you know, um, to worry about, you know, because it's things like, am I doing well enough? Um, you know, how am I acting? Am I acting the way people want me to act? You know, so it's all the things I talked about. It's fear of rejection. You know, it's looking out for threats to ensure our survival. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to others because our primitive minds knew that, when we had better things we survived more so overthinking is just part of our brain our brains are primed and it's normal and we all do it but like i said earlier about having good routines and being active um if you ensure you've got routine and activity in your day you leave less space for that overthinking yeah. so kind of doing that and ensuring that will help reduce the space that you've got for overthinking but it's normal at a time like this during a pandemic to get lost in anxious thoughts right now. Um, so that's normal. But it's not useful or helpful. Um, yeah. And the more that we focus on what is not in our control, the more hopeless and the more anxious we'll feel. So my advice at the moment is if you feel yourself getting caught up in anxious thoughts, is focus on what you can control right now and bring yourself back you know, because often when we get caught up in anxious thoughts, we're away up here in our head. So I'll often say, bring yourself back to your body 
and back to the present moment and just focus on an activity. Don't dwell yeah. on the things you can't control. It's just going to make you feel overwhelmed and more anxious. Focus what's in your control and make sure that you're kind of engaged in activity and doing something that's going to kind of help support your moods. Um, so don't, don't moan about the rain, just remember to take an umbrella in a sense. Yeah, yeah, if you want to look about it like that. I mean, yeah, the anxious thoughts are there and they're part of how our brain is wired, but it's just that noticing them and actually going, oh, I'm getting caught up in my anxious thoughts here and actually I know that's not helpful. These are things I can't control right now. I'm going to get back to what I'm doing and just get yeah. back to the business. Awareness is key for a lot of things to just sort of, once you're aware of a problem or like the way you think, you notice it a lot easier. But if something... If you've done something and say you always say a word, because I can't remember what it was, but I've always got a word that I say is a filler and you don't notice it until somebody then points it out to you. And once they point it out to you, it's very noticeable. And it would be the same way with uh, the way you think. You know, once yeah. you notice it and a couple of times you realise and then try and pull it back and it, you've just, it's a skill in a sense where you get better yeah. at it. Absolutely. Noticing that your anxious thoughts are building and noticing that you're that you're getting them in the first place is key because a lot of us are just on autopilot and a lot of us won't even realize it's happening to us so yeah absolutely noticing the fact that it's happening is the first thing that we need to do and then not get caught up in it bring ourselves back to the present because anxious thoughts are often about things that have already happened so you might ruminate or think about a conversation you had with someone and go oh, why did i say that like that but it's done it's in the past it's happened already or you worry about the future um, things that haven't happened yet. What if I do embarrass myself going into that situation or what if I might lose my job? These are things that are out of our control. They've not happened yet. So you can't, you can't problem solve a hypothetical situation. So bring yourself, if you notice those kind of worries, bring yourself back to the present. The kind of um, caveat to that is though, if you are worrying about a problem that's a current problem that you can problem solve, just spend some time problem solving it. So if you are worried about an exam, just spend some time get setting yourself out a study timetable. That's a kind of obvious problem that you can solve. Um, so there will be some things like, you know, I'm worried about money this month. Okay, let's sit down and work out my ingoings and my outgoings and create a bit of a spreadsheet. I'm worried about passing this exam. Okay, I'm going to set myself a study timetable. Those are pro problems that we can solve and appropriate worries. If it's a worry about something that's happened, already happened or something that's not happened yet, don't focus on it. Just bring yourself back to the present and just focus on what you're doing because you can't problem solve those things. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So just because as we were going through that, there are a lot of the things linked back to the sort of same um, solutions. So how would you say to be successful and feel good, if you could just like, summarise what we've went through here and, um, and we'll just link this back to the top tip to live by, uh, our top tips to live by, if we just summarise um, how to be happy and no air quotes or be successful and feel good, what would you say it would be? Uh, I guess to summarise, so if we take action on the things that are truly important to us, then we can be happier with the direction that our lives are going in. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if we ensure emotional and physical self-care, then we're looking after our whole selves because there's no, there's no health without mental health. So as well as looking after your physical health, you need to look after your emotional self. 
You know, that's that's great. I think that would would you say that's your top tip to live by? I think that kind of. Um. Well, I guess my top tip to live by, in the current situation, would be actually be kind to yourself. I think. Um, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Week and their slogan is be kind. So be kind to others, be kind to yourself and be kind to society. But often in therapy, what I'm having to tell clients is actually to be kinder and more compassionate to themselves because often we're our own worst critic and we put ourselves down in ways that we would never put a friend down or someone else down. So my top tip to live by is to notice your kind of inner critical voice and actually when that's happening, be kinder to yourself. And more compassionate to yourself. So, where um, can people find you, Ashley? Um, so, I currently work for the NHS, so I don't do private practice. So, um, you can't find me in the private world. But if you are someone that is struggling with your mental health and you feel like you need further supports, my advice would be go to your GP and speak to your GP, and they'll be in a place to refer you on to the appropriate service. I mean, um, thanks so much for that. That is, I think that's going to be so informative and I think a lot of people can take a lot of stuff away. Um, so hopefully people have took notes because it was quite in-depth, but it's, it's so valuable and I think the current climate we're in, it's just so helpful. So thank you very much for coming on and speaking to me. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. It was good to chat to you and hope, I hope it was helpful. No, it really was. Thank you. Um, and that's us. See you later. Bye.